want you to go with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 this morning, we've been looking at Philippians for a few weeks now with our subject in Philippians 1 being true joy. Today we come to verses 9 through 11, and Paul is telling the Philippian believers about his prayers for them. Now you may not have thought that there's a connection between prayer for others and true joy, and whether you experience it or not, but I believe there is. And Paul had been practicing the privilege of intercessory prayer for these believers, the wonderful privilege of praying on behalf of someone else's needs other than your own. And there's a connection, I think, I see here in Paul's praying for them and his joy. The way Paul prays for these believers, I believe, leads to much joy, true joy for Paul, and we see it throughout this letter. And if you're a follower of Christ, you also have the privilege of praying on behalf of other people's needs. It is always a great encouragement to me when we gather here on Wednesday evenings for our prayer service, and we want our Wednesday evening service to be that primarily, a time of prayer. And it is a great privilege and a great opportunity for us to meet together to participate in intercessory prayer. And I would encourage you to join us on Wednesday evenings. I trust you pray throughout the week, and I And I long for that, that our church fellowship would be a church of prayer, that we wouldn't just pray on Wednesdays, that we would pray at all times. We have those first and the 15th for 15 minutes as just little reminders. I hope you treat it like that. It's just a reminder. I'm going to pray every day. But but let me be reminded on the first and the 15th to pray for at least 15 minutes for our church family. And I hope that that more of you will take advantage of the opportunity that we have to gather together as a church and pray corporately as the body of Christ. We come together on Wednesdays, Wednesday evenings for for this time of prayer. And it is a great privilege. I often hear people say, I am so sorry that that I keep asking you to pray about this. I'm so sorry that you have to keep praying about this. And, and, and I'm always, I'm always surprised because it's a privilege to pray. I hope you feel the same way. Never feel like you are burdening us when you say, please pray for. That's why we put those yellow slips of paper in the program so that on the back side you can tell us how you need us to pray for you, for your loved ones, for people that you are interacting with, with the gospel. We want to pray for them. We want to pray for you. That is a privilege. I hope you understand what a privilege it is to pray for each other, and I hope that that we would grow in this as a church. We've noted it before that this letter was likely written by Paul from prison. And it should challenge, it should encourage us that though he knows what personal suffering is, and you can see it in reading this letter, we find it also saturated with true joy. It's saturated with joy. Though, though there are indicators that he is suffering, that's not the overwhelming theme that you get when you read Philippians. The overwhelming thread that you see throughout this letter is his joy in the Lord. It's the same joy Paul wants to see in the lives of those to whom he is writing. It's the same joy that God wants us to experience because he has given us this letter also in his word. Because God inspired Paul to write these words, not only for the Philippian believers, but for the Higgins Lake Baptist Church believers. And it's the same joy that God wants us to have today, and we should see that, we should pursue it, we should long for it, but we should long for the right joy, 
not the not the joy the world offers, but the the joy that God offers. We've noted this before that one of the keys to Paul's joy was that he was concerned about others. He was quick to get his eyes off of his own problems and put his eyes and his prayers on the concerns and needs of others. That was his practice of praying for these believers. And that's what we saw when we looked at Philippians 1 back in verses 3 and 4, where he writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Note that he's not just merely remembering them. He's talking about his prayers for them. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. And now as we look at verses 9 through 11 today, we're going to see the specifics of his prayer for the Philippian believers. And I think it does us good to stop here and take note of this because I believe this passage should encourage and challenge each of us, first of all, to have a prayer life. If you aren't in the practice of praying faithfully, then it's time to start. It's time to have a prayer life. It's time to seek God's face and ask for God's will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And so first of all, I want you to be challenged and encouraged today that if you aren't praying faithfully, it's time to start. Trusting God in prayer, it is your privilege to speak to the creator of the universe about the things that concern you and the things that involve you and the things that involve others around you. What a privilege. And so first of all, I want you to be challenged to have a prayer life. But secondly, I want you to think about this, that your prayer life should include taking the needs of others to the Lord in prayer. It shouldn't just be about you and your little circle right? I could easily spend my day praying about me. <laughs> and you could too. But that's not, that's not what all of our prayers should be. Yes, that includes that, but we should be praying for one another. We should be praying for others. We should be praying for the people that God has brought into our life. And if you know people, God has brought them into your life, okay? If you're not a hermit, <laughs> and you're here, so you're not, <laughs> you know people, God has put them in your life, and we should be praying for one another. So let's look together at the connection between prayer and true joy, because I believe God wants us to know what true joy is, and I believe there's a connection, and I think we can see it in Paul's example, between his praying and his joy. And I think if we're going to know true joy, we're going to need to get this right. Part of Paul's joy was the result of what he prayed for others, I believe. Look. Look again, and we're going to look here at verses 9 through 11. I want you to follow along with me as I read. Verse 9, Philippians 1, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Now, I see four, four spiritual graces here, four areas of spiritual growth for which Paul prays for these Philippian believers. And I think we'll recognize these as four areas that are, that are needed in all of our lives as followers of Christ. And these, I think, will give us a great example of the types of requests that we should be praying for one another so that we're praying beyond only the physical needs, and that's often where we find ourselves when we do pray for others. We are often finding ourselves only praying for their physical needs. 
But we should pray for more than just that. And I think we'll see that here. Now we're going to look at the first area of spiritual growth this morning, and I'm going to play a dirty trick on you because I'm not going to tell you what the other three are unless you come back tonight. They're all four very important. We have time for one, and we're going to start with the one that I think is probably the most important. We need to get this right. First note, Paul prayed for their increasing love. Increasing love. Not just love. I call this increasing love because of what he says in verse 9. Look at it again. Paul begins by praying that their love may abound. What does he say? More and more. The English Standard Version says more and more. Note here that Paul is not praying that their love would begin. And and we can see when we read this letter to the Philippians that they were showing their love for Paul. They were demonstrating their love for him in the way that they cared for him and were providing some support for his needs, support for his ministry. So it's evident that this was a church that was already showing love. So don't think that he's just saying, look, you've got to start loving, which is also a reminder to us that though though we see signs of love in our fellowship, there are also opportunities for growth, right? There are signs that we need to grow in this, just like for the Philippian believers. They were already doing this right, but Paul knows there is room for improvement. So what he was praying for was for their love to overflow, for their love to increase, for their love to multiply, to spill over into the lives of others more and more, like like pouring a glass of water to overflowing, taking, if you took a pitcher and poured a, you know, into a glass of water until the pitcher was empty, what's going to happen? Water is going to get everywhere, right? And Paul is praying this for the believers, that they be so full of love that their love gets everywhere, that it's all over the place and you can't stop it, right? Water's that way. Our love for one another and for those who need Christ ought to be that way with the example of Christ before us, right? The Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. That's Paul's desire for the Philippian believers, that they would be so full of God's love that it would completely fill them to overflowing and that they wouldn't be able to stop what God is doing in them as they show the love of Christ to others. But I want you to note, too, that he's also praying that their love for God would grow. He wants their love for God to grow and increase more and more. It's not just a love for one another that he's asking God to increase in their lives. He's asking that they would also grow in their love for God. That is also also the theme of Scripture. When you read elsewhere, you find God's Word points us to that truth. It's not just love your brother. It is that. But that love for brother ought to grow out of your love for God, and that's part of Paul's desire here. That's what we hear in Matthew 22 where Jesus says this in answer to a question from a Pharisee about what was the greatest commandment in the law. Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Did that, did that pretty much cover it? Yeah. This is the great and first commandment and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, love your neighbor, but you better start by loving God 
Love God with everything you have. And so part of what Paul is praying for these believers, rightly so, biblically, is not just that they would love each other, but that they would love God rightly, that they would love God more and more, that they would overflow with love for God. That's where we get that four-word phrase you often hear me talk about, loving God, loving people. Paul knew that if the love of believers for one another is to increase and bring personal joy, then an increase in one's love for God must be present. You want joy? Do you want true joy? Do you love God? Can you go back to Matthew and look and say, you know what, I'm loving God with heart and soul and mind. And elsewhere it says strength, right? I wonder how many of us can rightly say that today. Often it's convicting, isn't it? When we look at that and we think, I got more in me I could show in my love for God. I am not giving heart and soul and mind to my love for God. Paul knew that a believer's love for others was evidence, evidence, proof of one's love for God. And if you're truly filled with love for God, your desire will be for others to experience the same love for God that you experience. As this kind of unselfish praying for others, for God and others, we pray for ourselves, right? And we pray for others. We ought to pray for ourselves that we would love God more. Not only that we would be obedient to God and that we would love others more, but God, help me to love you more. So that as he works in us, The love for others becomes second nature. I think that's what Paul desires here. So Paul was praying for a a vast and limitless kind of increase in the love for God and people in the lives of these believers. And we ought to pray this for ourselves and for one another because you can't love too much in obedience to God's word. There is always room in our lives for a growing love for God and others. And even though Paul knew the Philippian believers were showing love, he also knew that God's work in their lives wasn't finished. How do we know this? The evidence of this is seen back in verse 6 where Paul says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is doing his work in you. And as you obey him, he is, he is, he is working his work. He is completing his work, and at the day of Christ, he'll be finished. So as followers of Christ, our aim should be to obey God's word and love love others and love God more today than we did yesterday. Our aim ought to be to show love to others more today than we did yesterday in obedience to God. And hopefully as we grow older in our faith, we also become more mature in our faith becoming the loving believers God longs for us to be. Because as long as God has us here on earth, there will always be room for us to grow in our love. And our desire should be to love God more today than we did yesterday and to love others more today than we did yesterday. Now, I praise God. Please don't hear me wrong in this. I praise God for the love that is shown in this church. I praise God for the growth and love that I have seen. Ten and a half years God has allowed me to be here in your midst, and I have seen an increase in love, and I praise God for that. But I know, too, that there will always be room in our homes and in God's church for more 
Christ-like love. Let's make it our aim to grow in our love for God and each other, and let's make this a priority in our prayers for one another. Do you pray for one another? I, I trust you do. I hope you do. Do you pray this? Do you pray that your brother or sister in Christ, uh, in Christ's love would increase more and more toward God and toward others? And we might selfishly pray that God help their love to increase toward me. That's not what we're talking about, right? In obedience to God's word, may their love to God and others increase. God knows best what we need. Yes, we often pray selfishly, pray for that person to do things that would benefit us. But how about we pray that God would move in them to do what's best? what God thinks is best, how God intends for them to show love in this church, in their homes, in this community. Let's note here that the love that Paul prayed also may abound more and more. Was not He's not talking about a, a sappy kind of sentimental love. He's not just saying, oh, let them have strong feelings for each other. They would just kind of you know lavishly show an affectionate kind of love. For each other. This is not what he's praying about. He says in verse 9, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Now what is this knowledge? It is an understanding of God's word. And it comes from regularly being taught by God's word. And from investing time reading God's word. Note that I didn't say spending time. (laughs) You don't spend time reading God's word. You invest Time reading God's word. It is a privilege to read God's word. It is not a waste of your time to read the scriptures because it will inform you, instruct you, enable you, and equip you for life as God says it should be lived. Knowledge comes from studying the word, meditating on it, and reading it again and again and again, day after day, year after year. And it's found in conforming our lives to God's word as we read it. And it will keep changing you in Christ-likeness as you read and obey God's word. So you see, the Bible helps us to love what God commands. You read God's word with a heart of faith that this is God's word. And however it steps on my toes, I welcome it because I want God to change me. You read God's word with that attitude and God changes your perspective about life and about everything in life. The Bible helps us to love what God commands. The world rejects God's commandments, does it not? If we go out and we tell the world what God's word says, very often you hear from the world, that's just God's word. Who is he to tell me how to live? I don't even believe there is a God. That's convenient, isn't it? We dare not live that way as believers in Jesus Christ and followers of Jesus Christ. We must believe God's word. And reading God's word helps us love, love what God commands, pursue what God commands. Just as we noted during communion this morning, and by understanding God's word, we'll know how we can truly love like God longs for us to love, like he demonstrated his love through Jesus Christ. 
Get God's word into you. Obey God's word and you'll be loving like Christ loved. But Paul also knew that knowing about love isn't enough. It's not just a knowledge about love. We also need discernment. We need wisdom about how to apply this knowledge of love in practical everyday living. And and we need knowledge and discernment in our love because this kind of biblical love isn't primarily a feeling. In spite of what the world tells you, a biblical kind of love is obedience in spite of feelings. It is an act of obedience. It is a choice, and we must choose to love, especially when others around you aren't choosing to love because not everyone around you is going to love like they should. And yet God calls you to love in obedience to his word, as you should, in spite of how they treat you. And contrary to the beliefs of many who say otherwise, you can decide to love. You can choose to love in obedience to God's word, whether you feel like it or not. Loving obediently is right, and you can never do what's right too many times. God's word tells us that again and again. How many times should I forgive my brother? Well, it's right to forgive your brother forever. Keep loving your brother, right? Keep forgiving one another. Keep demonstrating the love of Christ to one another. Whether those around you show you the love of Christ or not, you obey God. And you leave you leave their response to God in, in God's hands between them and Him. So despite how I feel, I ought always to be doing what's right toward my spouse, toward my children, my parents, my neighbors, my brothers and sisters in Christ. We need love that abounds and grows and flourishes and thrives if we're to have the joy of the Lord, true joy. If we aren't interested in being obedient in this way, then God will withhold his joy. We will be miserable. So we need love for others that takes its cue from God's love for us as demonstrated through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, which we observed this morning at the Lord's Supper. We need this reminder of how God showed his love, how Jesus Christ showed his love. And these reminders, just the three brief reminders I gave you about how the Lord's Supper can remind us how we ought to love one another. We need those again and again. We need to be refreshed in that knowledge constantly, continually, as we read God's word. And as we hear Jesus say in John 15, 12, this is my commandment. If you feel like it, love one another. That doesn't sound right, does it? That's because it's not right. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. There's no if. Jesus Christ gave himself as a sacrifice, not because we had done something to deserve this sacrifice, not because he looked down and said, what great people of great value and great worth, I think I'll send my son. He looked down and he saw sinful mankind and he said, I want to show them my love. I want to show them grace and mercy, what they do not deserve. I'm going to send them my son. He's going to be a sacrifice for sins. And all who look to him will be saved and washed whiter than snow. 
Jesus Christ gave himself as a sacrifice, not because we were so worthy. No, in, in fact, it was because we were unworthy. He loved us in spite of our own sinfulness, and this is the kind of love the Lord Jesus Christ calls all his followers to. This is the kind of love that the Lord Jesus Christ calls all his followers to show to one another and to pray that would thrive and flourish in this fellowship and in the brothers and sisters in Christ around you and near you. We need more and more love in our relationship with God and with others. That was Paul's desire for the Philippian believers, and it should be our desire. If you long to obey God's word, that desire to love God more and love others in obedience to God's word ought to grow, ought to flourish. There will be times when you get this wrong, and there ought to be conviction for that, right? When we sense, ah, I blew it again. God, forgive me and help me to get it right. May that be our prayer for ourselves. May that be our prayer for one another's, that our love would abound and increase more and more to overflowing, that it gets all over the place and we can't stop it. And if it is, we will know true joy. Praise God. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, we do praise you for Jesus Christ, clearly demonstrating your love for sinners in his sacrifice. He came to serve and not be served. Oh God, I pray, help us to grow as a fellowship of believers in, in our love for you, heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And God, may our love overflow to others. May it be true of this fellowship of believers. Let this be our prayer, Lord, that our love might abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, that we might honor you and obey you in this way, living, living for Jesus, not living for self, living that others might see Christ in us, not living so that they might call us great people. Lord, I pray, help us as a fellowship to grow in our love for you and our love for one another. And may there be others who, who come into our midst and realize they don't have that and they need Christ, that they might humble themselves before you even today, confessing their sin, expressing belief in Jesus Christ for the salvation of their souls from sin and the cleansing and the washing, making white as snow that you give to all who trust in Jesus. May others see that life flourishing through us because we love as Christ first loved us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.